Well, we are in Colossians 3, and the times that uh, I'm given to uh, the privilege of preaching, we're in the book of Colossians, and this morning in verses, really just verse 18 we're going to focus on, but in a few moments I want to read from verse 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. And Paul is here exhorting various family members about how they are to walk like Jesus. And I am just going to focus on verse 18 this morning concerning Christ-likeness and wives, but I want to read uh, the whole passage of this family section, this household code, code that begins in verse 18 and goes through chapter 4, verse 1. So let's hear the eternal and inerrant word of God uh, beginning here in verse 18 of chapter 3. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And this is the word of God. Let me lead us in prayer as we seek his help. Our Father, we thank you for your living and eternal word. And pray that you would help me to speak it now faithfully and clearly. And please work by your word to save your people, to bless your heritage, to be their shepherd, and to carry them forever. We pray that you would do this for your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, the central call of Paul in the entire letter of his to the Colossians is for God's people to increasingly know and trust and walk in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is to exalt and to exemplify Jesus who is eternally supreme and sufficient. And really the heart of this call throughout the entire letter is expressed back in chapter 2 verses 6 and 7. I would encourage you to look there. As Paul says in verse 6 of chapter 2, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, he's talking to believers, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And then this call gets amplified in chapter 3, for instance, beginning at chapter, at verse 1 of chapter 3, when Paul says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And then in verse 5 of chapter 3 and following, Paul gets specific about what Christ-likeness is to look like in the lives of Christians. 
And then as we get down to verse 18, he gets even more specific in calling for Christ-likeness in families. So I'm just giving you a little sense of the context here. Now, the passage that we're in, verse 18 of chapter 3 through chapter 4, verse 1, is referred to as a household code. And we introduced this a few weeks ago when we were last in this passage. We find other such codes in other books in the New Testament, such as in Ephesians 5 and 6, in 1 Timothy 5 and 6, in Titus chapter 2, and also in 1 Peter uh, chapters 2 and 3. And the purpose of these household codes is to teach God's people what exalting and exemplifying Christ should look like in day-to-day family life. In other words, displaying Christ-likeness in families is absolutely imperative for believers. This is part of God's means for how his people within a sinful and lost and hopeless world display Christ to the world and proclaim Christ to the world. So God wants Christians and, and whole families to shine forth the transforming hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now within the whole section here of uh, chapter 318 through 4.1, really the focal point is a call for every believer to do your part to exalt Christ in your family. That could maybe summarize the whole section. Do your part to exalt Christ in your family and do your part because Christ is worthy to be exalted and exemplified. Do your part because Christ loves you and he saved you through his blood. Do your part because in becoming a Christian, as we heard at the beginning of chapter 3, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In fact, in the language of what Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, do your part because you've denied yourself, you've taken up your cross daily, and you're resolving to walk obediently with Jesus. So again, the the main call of the whole passage is do your part to exalt Christ in your family. Now, in this family code, I want you to notice just briefly that there are three pairs of household relationships that Paul addresses. He talks, first of all, about wives and husbands. That's in verses 18 and 19. Then he talks about children and parents, particularly fathers, in verses 20 and 21. And then he talks about slaves and masters in the rest of the passage. Now, as I mentioned today, we're just going to focus on verse 18. Christ-likeness and wives. And next week, Lord willing, we'll look at verse 19 about Christ-likeness and husbands. But I'm constrained to move through this slowly, uh, to take careful time with these exhortations because they are so deeply and immediately relevant to our daily lives. And they are also so easily misunderstood Missed or distorted and misapplied. So we're going to move through these somewhat slowly. Now the command of verse 18, of course, is direct. It's very straightforward. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. But of course the question becomes then, well, what does it mean for wives to submit to their husbands? And why should they do so? And how does this really work out 
in daily married life. Well, that's what we want to dive into and look at this morning. Now, I'll summarize the command of verse 18 this way, really in a sense by almost restating it. But the big idea here is this. Wives, be Christ-like by submitting to your husbands. Be Christ-like by submitting to your husbands. And again, to be Christ-like means to seek to exemplify and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and to do so by submitting to your husbands. Now, as this uh, command unfolds in verse 18, it really has two parts. First, there's an obligation that is given by Paul, and then there's a motivation. And so that's the sermon outline this morning, the obligation and the motivation for wives to be Christ-like by submitting to their husbands. Now, some of you here this morning are wives. Many of you are not wives. So that doesn't mean that you can just tune out, all right? So let me be clear uh, about this and mention this, that while these things, of course, are directly applicable to those of you who are wives among us, every single one of us needs to understand these things. This is all a part of God's Word. So we all need to understand so that we can better pray for and encourage and affirm and come alongside our sisters in Christ who are wives. So having said that, let's dive in and look at both the obligation and then the motivation of the command for wives to be Christ-like by submitting to their husbands. Again, it's very straightforward, the obligation. Wives, submit to your husbands. And the essence of what this means, which I will then go on to explain, I believe is this. Wives, to submit to your husbands means to recognize his God-given authority in your family and to willingly follow his leadership in faith. Let me say that again. It means, wives, your God-given obligation to submit to your husbands means to recognize his God-given authority in your family and to willingly follow his leadership in faith. To recognize his God-given authority in your family and to willingly follow his leadership in faith. I think that's what the heart of it is, and I want to go on to explain that. And I emphasize that this obligation is God-given, as is a husband's God-given authority. And the reason is because God is the one who gives this. He's the one who has designed and ordered marriage to be what it is. And this, of course, goes all the way back to the book of Genesis and to creation, as we see in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. When God created woman to be a helper to the man, as together they would walk before God and to fulfill his purposes. And God in Christ is the one to whom both husband and wife are ultimately accountable. And so it's interesting, if you look back to chapter 2 in Colossians again, look at what Paul says in verses 9 and 10, referring to Christ. He says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you, who are believers, you have been filled in him who is the head of of all rule and authority. 
And he's affirming there and declaring there that Christ is the head of all rule and authority, including husbands and including wives. And so God is the one who orders marriage for his good purposes and who has given these very specific and complementary roles and responsibilities to men and women in marriage. In God's good design and will, wives are to willingly follow their husbands in faith and husbands are to actively lead their wives with love. Now, the Greek word for submit that is used here, it actually has its roots in a military term, which means to rank or to order under. And it carries the idea of voluntarily, willingly being subordinate to or coming under the authority of another. And so the verb that is used here uh, can carry the sense either of be submitted to or actually more the sense of submit yourself to, which is where the sense of voluntary and willing submission comes, which fundamentally is what's taking place when a woman marries a man. She's voluntarily willing, willingly coming under his God-given authority. And either way, well, the, the force of the command is evident that God, God obligates, God obligates out of his love and wisdom, you who are wives to willingly come under his God-given authority for your husband, to willingly follow his leadership in faith. And though you are equal in identity with your husband, both you and your husband are equal in bearing God's image, Yet God has assigned you different and complementary roles and responsibilities. And so the call to submit to your husband is to willingly and even joyfully be subordinate to the authority of your husband. And by the way, in connection with a parallel passage where Paul speaks about this in Ephesians chapter 5, this submission is to also involve respect. Paul says that in chapter 5, verse 33 of Ephesians. To respect, have respect for your husband's God-given authority in view of God's good design and will. And so this submission doesn't mean you lose your identity or become a doormat, but rather the idea is that it flows from the security of your identity in Christ. And it means maximizing the full resources of who you are and how God has made you. All of your gifts, all of your abilities, all of your skills, knowledge, energy, and experience being given to willing submission to your husband in God's good design. Now, I want you to observe a few things about this obligation. First of all, it's a command from God. This is an imperative command. It's not an optional suggestion. And as I've mentioned, this flows from his good and wise design. It's a binding obligation. Second of all, the command is in the present tense, which means that your willing submission is to be continual and ongoing. It's, a, it's an overall comprehensive, continual disposition and, and demeanor that you're to have. And I want to highlight also as another observation, third, notice, wives, that you're to submit to your husband, 
to your husband. This is very specific. God is not commanding you to submit to all men in general. Even though we, we understand there are various spheres in which we're all called to submit to others. Like the sphere of government or in the workplace. No, this isn't a command for wives to submit to every man, but to you, for you to uniquely submit to your husband. And while the word for submit, and this is important as well, while the word for submit, as I mentioned, is rooted in a military term, this is not to be understood in a cold, militaristic kind of way. And I would just say to you men, and to you who are husbands in particular, if you try to lead your home and your wife like some kind of a brash, harsh, military general, you know, barking out orders and demanding compliance, well, you're just plain foolish. And you're being disobedient. You're sinning against God. Which is why in the very same breath in verse 19, Paul is going to go on to say, you're to lead your wife with love, which is the holy love of God in Christ. And we're going to explore that more next week, but husbands in particular, I hope you get that. <laughs> your home is not a, a, a military outpost. It's a home. And you're to lead in love. And yes, your wife is to willingly submit to and follow your leadership in faith. But it's in a relational context. Now, in God's wise design, this authority submission structure in marriage between husbands and wives is both functional and relational. And interestingly enough, this flows from the mystery of God's own Trinitarian reality. And what I mean is the mystery of, of one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus, the Son, submits to the Father, and the Holy Spirit is sent from both the Father and the Son. And this is why, for instance, in John 14, verse 28, Jesus says, the Father is greater than I. He doesn't mean he's greater in essence, but he's, he's acknowledging this functional aspect of the mystery of the triune relationship. He's greater in the sense that the Son is submitting to the Father. And this is behind what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. When he says this, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Now this functional relational reality within the Trinity is then echoed in the functional relational structure of marriage. And yes, it's a mystery. It's a mystery. But this is what God has revealed. Now think about this. Ideally, ideally, when both husband and wife are Christians, both are to be mutually submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ, to his authority. Even as we heard earlier in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, and chapter 3. And what this means is that husband and wife, you are both obligated first to love and to serve each other 
as a brother and sister in Christ. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul says that all believers are to submit themselves to one another. And then immediately following that, in verse 22, he goes on to talk about the unique elements of a husband and wife relationship. But so again, there's this mystery that in one sense, husband and wife as a brother and sister in Christ, there's this mutually, mutual submission to God and even in a sense to one another, loving and serving one another. But it's in that framework that this authority submission structure is then to work out in marriage. And how beautiful and how powerful and how life-giving it is when a godly husband leads his wife in love and when she willingly submits to him in faith, all within God's good and wise design. Well, you may have the question tumbling around in your mind. Okay, well, I get this. I mean, it's clear, it's straightforward. What does it look like? What does it look like for a wife to submit to her husband in this way and voluntarily, willingly, even joyfully coming under his leadership, following him in faith. Well, biblically, I don't know if there's a richer picture than what God reveals in the book of Proverbs, chapter 31. I'd invite you to turn there, Proverbs chapter 31. If you open your Bible to the middle, you'll likely hit either Psalms or Proverbs and then just look for chapter 31 and gaze upon this picture. And I want to read the entirety of verse 10 through verse 31 because it gives us a picture of what this beautiful, life-giving, vibrant submission looks like in connection with her husband. And you'll get the context even in the beginning of verse 10. Here we go. An excellent wife who can find. She's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed, uh, bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Verse 23, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Merchants, uh, strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman 
who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Now, friends, what a, what a picture this is of an excellent wife who fears the Lord. And you see that she's living by faith in the Lord. And in living by faith in the Lord, she's employing the full resources of her gifts and her abilities and her skills and her knowledge and her energy and her experience, all of it in willing submission to her husband. It's implied that she's following his lead and she's seeking to do him good and not harm all the days of her life. And she's indeed to be praised. This is what submission is to look like. Now, nobody does it perfectly, but this is the, the target, if you will, in God's design, for God's purposes, and for his glory. Now, of course, as we understand, the ideal is never the reality in our lives, this side of glory. Some of you may be in marriages where your husband is not a believer. Or you may be in a marriage where he professes to be a Christian, but he's either living in sin or possibly just mature in his, immature in his relationship with Christ. And it needs to be said that even in the healthiest of Christian marriages, both spouses at best are still recovering sinners recovering sinners who are still imperfect and still needing to grow in sanctification. That's always the case. But if your husband is disobeying God, living in disobedience, what is it that you are to do with regard to this command? Well, let me say that God knows fully and God cares deeply about the difficulty of your situation. And I want to just say as well, if you or others in your family are being abused in any way by your husband, which is to say being oppressed, being dominated by your husband in any way, whether it's physical, whether it's verbal, whether it's emotional, whether it's sexual, if you're being abused, let me tell you, dear friend, it is right and it is appropriate and it is pleasing to God that you seek help, that you seek help. Call the police. Call one of the pastors in the church. Call or talk to a, a Christian friend because your husband is accountable to God and both the law and the church are instruments of his accountability. It's right and appropriate if you are in that kind of a situation to seek help and to do all that you can to do so. And yet even so, dear sister, I would say this, even as God's word counsels to do so yet with the goal of maintaining trust and faith in God and maintaining a submissive disposition, even as you seek to see your husband rescued from his sin and even as you appropriately seek help to that end and for your own safety and for your own protection and yet to guard your heart in that. And so I understand and the Lord knows the fullness of it. These are hard things and yet this is what he calls us to and 
Beloved wives, God's will for you to submit to your husband is not ultimately about whether you think your husband is worthy to be submitted to. It's not ultimately about whether you think your husband deserves to have you submit to him. It's not about whether you think your husband has the right to expect you to submit to him or whether you have the right to submit or not to submit. In fact, God's will for you to submit to your husband has nothing to do ultimately with your husband's character, his words, his actions, his inaction, or his performance. Ultimately, God's will for you to submit to your husband has singularly to do with his purposes, with God's purposes, in God's design, in God's glory, and his provision in Christ. Now I know even as I say this, there's a deep sense of this is absolutely humanly impossible. This is a tall order. How can you do it? Well, I've talked a bit about the obligation. What's the motivation? That's the second part of what Paul says there at the end of verse 18, and the second part of what we'll focus on, the motivation. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. As is fitting in the Lord. And this little phrase is all about the right motivation and the resources for submitting to your husband. And that little phrase is packed with significance. And that little phrase is the in faith part of how I described submission. Wives, to submit to your husband means to recognize his God-given authority in your family and to willingly follow his leadership in faith. In faith. And I'm referring to faith in Jesus Christ. Not faith, ultimately, in your husband. You see, the only right motivation for you to submit to your husband and the only power that enables you to submit is that it is fitting, which is to say it is appropriate. It is proper in the Lord. And by referring to the Lord, Paul is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he means is Christian wives, you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are his beloved, and you now live in the sphere of Christ's kingdom and authority. As Paul says earlier in chapter 3, verse 3, as I read earlier, you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And because of that, it is fitting, it is proper, it's appropriate for you to trust and obey Christ in submitting to your husband. That's the motivation, and that's the power. Now, this has at least three implications that I'll just briefly mention. Three implications of, 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 of embracing this motive of doing it in the Lord and because it's fitting in the Lord and trusting Him. The first implication is that Christ is the sovereign Lord who commands your submission. This is His command, and it's unambiguous. It's very clear, both here and in many other places as well. And again, going back to the, to the broad overarching call that Paul expresses in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. As you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, being rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. The first implication is that Christ is the sovereign Lord who commands your submission. And submitting to your husband is proper because you're a citizen of Christ's kingdom, and he lovingly commands you to do so. 
A second implication is that Christ is the perfect example who models your submission. He's the perfect example who models your submission. In other words, in submitting to your husband, you are imitating Christ's own model of humility and submission to his father. Listen to how Paul speaks of this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 8 through 8. Speaking of Christ's humility and submission, he says, Who, though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, beloved wives, in obligating you to submit to your husbands, Jesus is not commanding you to do something that he hasn't done. And moreover, he experientially understands what it means to submit in faith. So, he's the perfect example who models your submission. And this leads to a very important third implication. They're all important. But the third implication is this. Not only is Christ the sovereign Lord who commands your submission, not only is he the perfect example who models your submission, but third, he's your all-sufficient Savior who protects you, who provides for you, and who will never leave you in your submission. He's the all-sufficient Savior who protects you, provides for you, and who will never leave you in your submission. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ knows and understands that you following the leadership of your husband can be scary and can be fearful. It can be downright terrifying. But this is why your submission to your husband must be motivated by your faith in Christ, trusting that he will be with you and that he will strengthen you to do what he's calling you to do. And he will protect and provide for you in whatever consequences may come from your trust and obedience to him. This is why near the very beginning of the letter in chapter 1 of Colossians, Paul prays as he does for believers. Just listen to this beginning in verse 9 of chapter 1. And he's praying for all believers, but certainly includes believing wives. He says, So from the day that we've heard, we haven't ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of life. Implicit to his prayer is a recognition that life in this world for believers is very, very hard. And sometimes that plays out, sadly, in the context of marriage. Now, beloved sisters who are wives, it is fitting in the Lord Jesus for you to submit to your husbands. 
Jesus is the sovereign Lord who commands your submission. He is the perfect example who models your submission. He's the all-sufficient Savior who protects you, provides for you, will never leave you in your submission. And you are to submit to your husbands, among other reasons too, in a manner that teaches and exemplifies for the rest of us how we're to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. I mentioned earlier that parallel passage in Ephesians chapter 5 uh, where Paul speaks about this. Let me just read what Paul says there, verses 22 to 24 in chapter 5, and he expands a bit more on these matters of, of wives submitting. But here's what he says. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And it's there that he's drawing an exact parallel between uh, the kind of submission that a wife is to have with her husband and how that models and exemplifies what the rest of the church is to know and to be doing in submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's all kinds of implications there. So, dear wives, be Christ-like by submitting to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And may all of us do our part to exalt Christ in our families as well as doing our part to exalt Christ in the local church. And this is so important, isn't it? Because there's so many temptations that come along the way, so many challenges. One way that wives might be tempted to respond sinfully rather than submitting to their husbands is with your words. And we can all be prone to this in various contexts, but this can certainly play out in the context of marriage, can't it? Your words to your husband, your words to others about your husband. Oh, how careful we need to be. We know there can be temptations to, to be nagging, to be complaining, to be attacking, to be griping, to be whining or sulking or chafing or bickering or gossiping or attacking and being contentious. The book of Proverbs has much to say about the challenges of a woman who is contentious in that way, describing it as dripping rain or that it's better for a man to live either in the desert or on the corner of a roof than with a wife that is contentious. Now, I know there's lots of challenges, there's lots of issues, but ladies, guard your hearts and guard your tongues. And how needful it is in Christian marriages and in the church to live out the obligations Paul calls us to. And again, husbands, don't miss being here next week uh, because we're on, the, we're on the firing pad, so to speak, and learning what it means more to love our wives as Christ loves the church. But for all of us, for husbands and wives and all of us who are believers, it's good to hear, and I'll close with these words from what Paul says in verses 12 to 14 of chapter 3 in Colossians. He says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Amen. And may God help us to do our part. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word, even as it sometimes cuts very, very deeply. And we know yet that your purposes in
cutting and bringing conviction perhaps, even as you bring encouragement, is not to destroy but to bless and but to cleanse and but to change. And Father, for myself, even in, in hearing and thinking more about these matters of what you call wives to, I know that you call every single one of us to submit to you and to walk before you. And you've given, you've given our dear sisters in Christ as wives a unique place to, to really model and exemplify that for the rest of us. Lord, may you comfort them, may you strengthen them, may you help them to, to be looking to you in faith and to be living out the, the fullness of what these, uh, this obligation implies. And Lord, may you help all of us to honor and please you and to come alongside one another in encouragement and support. We thank you for your goodness, and to all of this, may Christ be all the more exalted and exemplified uh, for your purposes in the world. We thank you in his name. Amen and amen.